Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Monday, November the 6th. 2023, and I am delighted to have this time with you. I hope that this finds everybody doing very well, having just enjoyed a wonderful, wonderful fall weekend. It was a beautiful weekend here in Spotswood. Had a marvelous time together doing lots of different things, including our, our dinner with the session on Saturday night and just Lots and lots of stuff going on. Tis the season to be busy, but watch that. Make sure that you don't get too busy and that you don't miss out on what the Lord is calling you to do, including being a regular part of a Bible-believing church. I bet you thought I forgot about that, didn't you? It's been a while since I have said it, but I'm back with it again. You really do need to be a regular part of a Bible-believing church, and by regular part, that means attending a Bible-believing church. If you are in our area, we would absolutely love to have you. Um, if you're not in our area, you know, I do find it, it it's a different time in America. There are some folks, and you may be, people watch this thing all over the place. You may be in an area where there is no Bible-believing church, and, and if so, reach out to me and we can talk. But nevertheless, if at all possible, make sure that you are, for your sake, for the Lord's sake, for the sake of the kingdom, uh, anyway, it is good to be back with you this week, and it's good to be back as we make our way through Acts chapter 16. Do you remember where we left off this past Thursday? We were dealing with the demon-possessed girl, and we were talking about demonic oppression, demonic possession. I had a talk with somebody recently, and he made a great point of Satan is controlling your life. You can call it whatever you want, but nevertheless, it is a reality, y'all. This is not, this is not something for fairy tales. This is not about superstitious. This is not about the church being barbaric or anything like that, and but it's also not about holy water and all that other stuff. That's not what we're talking about. Y'all, there's only one thing that drives out demons, and that's the power of Jesus Christ, who has dominion over heaven and hell. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power of Jesus working through the Holy Spirit in you, called to be his ambassador. But I don't want to start to preach in here. I might have already gone to meddling. Uh, and I certainly don't want to recoup everything that we went over when we were together Thursday. Where we're picking up today is where we left off in Acts chapter 16. With the aftermath of this, we see that, that, that the girl with the spirit, with the demon that was causing her to predict the future, Paul cast that out. And now we're going to see the consequences of this. You would think, hey, great, a demon cast out. Marvelous. Well, remember, there are a lot of people making money off of this young lady this girl, they're going to have a problem with it. Let's pray and then we'll dig in and we'll see it. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And I pray that as we go through this history of the Acts of the Apostles, as we see events that transpired in time and place, that by your Holy Spirit, we would see those truths that, that are so applicable to today, that, that we would see how we should live in light of what you have revealed in your word and submission to the Holy Spirit. Please guide us by your spirit. Let us see. Let us have ears that hear, eyes that see, hearts that beat with flesh, not hearts of stone. Instead, let us receive your word with grace and power. Please guide us by your Holy Spirit now, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, picking up where we left off, we where we just left off was, um, well, you can look at it yourself. We're, we're right there at the end of verse... 
18, where finally Paul, it says, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, that's where we left off the last time. What is the consequence of this? What's the aftermath? Would there be rejoicing for the sake of this girl? Eh, we know already that she has been exploited. Back in verse 16, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She, in fact, is a slave. Well, here's the, the end result. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, all right? These men are Jews. So that's what they start with. That's important. These men are Jews. And they are throwing our city into an uproar, and listen, by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Pause. Now, what, what are they talking about here? Okay, is this, we really don't know, y'all. I'm, I'm just going to say that right up front. There are lots of guesses that we can make. Is this them responding to the fact that they genuinely just think that Paul and Cyrus, or, or Cyrus, Silas are Jews? I, I don't know. Is this, you know, some of the fruit of the relationship between Jew and Gentile that we've talked about in here ad nauseum, right? Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Is this try, them trying to say of Paul and Silas that they're like uh, insurrectionists, revolutionaries? Um, you know, this business about advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What does that mean? Are they saying that it's unlawful to destroy demons? Again, y'all, we just don't know. But it really doesn't matter that much because the end result is the same. What these men are doing, these men that own the slave girl that were making money off of her, that look, the cash cow is dried up, right? That's what's going on. Once they had given up hope of making any money, they're not going to make it off of her. Then they turn on Paul and Silas. Does it matter to them that, yeah, you know, technically Paul is a Jew, but they're actually Christians? No. Nah. Remember, this at this point in time, there wasn't really any differentiation between Judaism and Christianity. In fact, Christianity was just seen as a sect, S-E-C-T, a sect of Judaism. Okay, so it's not that they're intentionally lying. This is probably accurate how they saw these men. But basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, listen, these guys have turned the place into an uproar. So, verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Mm. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stock. Y'all read between the lines here. When it says that, that anybody in a Roman province here, okay, this is Philippi, one of the major cities of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire, really. When it says that somebody was flogged severely, y'all, flogging, we, we've talked about this before when we've talked about the crucifixion narrative, 
Christ's passion, right, his last days of his earthly ministry. Flogging was absolutely horrible. They used these devices, sometimes they're referred to as cat of nine tails, but small leather straps and, and sewn into them or tied into them was chunks of glass, oftentimes, you know, pieces of metal, sharp pieces of metal. I mean, this is horrible. It's bad enough to be flogged, but to be flogged severely, oftentimes people died from this. It was so terrible that you weren't even supposed to do this to Roman citizens, okay? And we're going to hear more about that eventually. But that's what happened there. And, and to add injury to injury, not only are they flogged severely, they're thrown in prison and they're placed in the stocks, right? Their feet were placed in stocks. Now, what did that look like exactly for Romans? You know, when we think about stocks, we think about wood with the holes in them and you put your head and your hands through. They have them for feet too. That's probably what it was, or it was a system devised of chains. Whatever it was, they weren't going anywhere. So they were flogged severely and they weren't even allowed to lay down, okay? That's how terrible this is. And they're in prison. What's going to happen to them? What's going to take place? They don't know. Now, again, we're paused here. I got to ask you, what would you do? Now, let's start. Let's start at the start, right? It's just like a lot of situations in life. You and I can say, well, if it was me, then I would. But y'all know how that is. I mean, if you're practical and if you're honest, until you're in a lot of situations, it's not really fair to say, well, if I was such and such or in such and such situation, I would fill in the blank. Really, y'all, you don't know what you're going to do until you're in a situation. But I will say this, what you do in a situation is based on who you are. And I can tell you what the temptation would be. The temptation would be, you know, to, to play a blame game, to throw a pity party for Paul and Silas to say, hey, we're the Lord's. Why is this happening to us? I thought we were doing what God told us to do. Shouldn't he take care of us? You know, that, that would have been a temptation, but this is Paul here, right? While he wasn't in the upper room, he was taught. He he, he, he was taught by the Lord himself, but nevertheless, y'all, the teachings given to John would have been familiar, given in John would have been familiar, but especially those teachings of the upper room where Jesus said, guys, listen, and of course I'm paraphrasing, John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about if they do this to the master, don't you think they'll do it to the servants too? Servants should think more highly of himself than his master. If they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. So again, we can ponder how we might react, but what did Paul and Silas do? I'm glad you asked. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Y'all, this is one of those heart check moments. You and I could ponder all day long what we think we might do, but we don't need to ponder long if in this situation what we should do. Because Paul and Silas show us. They're doing two things. They're praying, the two Ps. They're praying and they are praising. They're praying to God. We don't know what the, we don't know what they're praying. One can assume that they're praying for deliverance, for comfort. We don't know. It just says that they're praying. And it also says that they are singing hymns to God. They are praising God. Y'all, 
Our doxology cannot be determined by our circumstances. Our doxology, our praise, must be determined by our theology, what we know, what we believe about God, what is in our hearts, who we are. As I said a minute ago, what you do in situations is determined by who you are. This is who Paul and Silas are. They're praying and they are praising. And you'll notice the effect that this has. It not only says that they're, they're praying and that they're praising God, singing hymns to God, it also says that the other prisoners were listening to them. No sermons here, right? No one-on-one evangelism, nothing like that. You have Paul and Silas turning to the Lord and then those on the outside are looking in and they're listening, they're watching, they're seeing. I had a pastor once say, and he said this often, and it's a scary thought. To someone, it's entirely likely, it may very well be that to somebody, you are the best Christian they know. Think about that. Ooh, in Paul and Silas's case, what a marvelous thing. But I know if I'm honest and I look back at my behavior, that's a sad commentary from time to time. And it ought to be a motivator for us going forward together. Can't go back, but we can go forward. And how we ought to go forward is praying, praising God and letting other people see this. Now, it continues. It says in verse 26, suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Violent earthquake. Again, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. This isn't just a regular earthquake. Here and lately, we've had like three earthquakes in the Stewart's Draft area. This is not, you know, the house rumbling saying, did you feel that? No, this is a violent, violent earthquake. Okay. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Woo! Talk about a prison break, y'all. It would have looked like an automated prison system, but it wasn't. It was that violent earthquake from the Lord. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. The jailer knew that this was life is over for him at this point if all the prisoners escape. He is at that point of despair immediately. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Y'all, backing up, something's going on here, spiritually speaking. And no, I don't just mean the earthquake. Because if you think it's amazing that Paul and Barnabas were severely flogged and their feet were placed in stocks, and and then it's amazing that they're singing and praising God and praying, that that is amazing. But if you think it's amazing that that the people that were in jail with them was listening, were listening to them, that's amazing. If you think it's amazing that this sudden violent earthquake opens up all the cell doors and everybody's chains fall off, that's amazing. But you want to know... You want to know what the most amazing thing is? It's that line that we just read. All the doors are open. All the chains have come loose of all the uh, visitors, uh, prisoners, and they don't go anywhere? They don't run away? Oh, the Lord is working here. Why don't they run away? Well, we're not exactly told. But I think 
Kind of we are, because those prisoners were too busy listening to Paul and Silas to run away, to make the prison break. Just a guess. But I think it's a very good one because you see the Lord had intervened in that place. And in our world, you know, I, I, I tell you all this, I, I think I've told you this. People ask me sometimes, what's your favorite movie? And I don't know. That's like saying, what's your favorite food? I mean, that's, that's really hard to get specific. But I can tell you a movie I, that I watch over and over and over again, and that is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Not the same as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I used to hate Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's the new one with Johnny Depp. I don't hate it anymore. I just think it's a different telling of the same story. But I love the one from the late 70s, early 80s, the Gene Wilder one, right? Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka. Um, Slim Pickens is in it as Grandpa Joe, too. But anyway, I love that movie for so many different reasons. But I love the ending. Right, I love the ending because all throughout the children have, have, have broken the contract that they made with Willy Wonka and they talk about sharing their everlasting gobstopper piece of candy with Willy Wonka's chief competitor, Slugworth. Right, And at the end, even when Charlie has been told he's lost because he and his grandpa break the rules by, by drinking the, the, the bubbly drink stuff. Anyway, even though he's broken the rules and he's not going to win the lifetime supply of chocolate and the grand prize, before they leave, Charlie takes his everlasting gobstopper and just says, Mr. Wonka, and he places it on his desk. His desk, if you remember the movie, everything in his office was cut in two, right, to show the disheveled man. And before Willy Wonka turns and embraces Charlie and tells him that he's won everything, that he's won the factory, Willy Wonka says something. I think it's one of the most beautiful lines in any movie. And there's a lot of lines in that movie that people say, where did that come from? And it didn't come from anything. It was just a line from the writing. And he said, so shines a good deed in a weary world. So shines a good deed in a weary world. How rare it is when you see something beautiful. When you see something good, when you see something pure and right. And yet, when Paul and Silas were praising and praying instead of cursing and fretting, so shines a good deed in a weary world. And what they saw, I believe, was so powerful that they had to stick around. Oh, my friends, what a beautiful thing. What would happen? Well, they stopped the jailer before the jailer committed suicide, and what happens next we'll have to get into tomorrow because we're out of time. But for today, you probably know the devotional application. I think that you have been around long enough. What do you exhibit? And I'm asking myself just as much as I'm asking you. I mean, really, I am. What do you exhibit? Do you do those good deeds that shine in a weary world? It's not so much a good deed as it is Paul and Silas through their prayer and praise show forth the genuine article. Our world is full of fakes, you know. It's full of counterfeits. It's full of things that promise to provide meaning, 
promise to provide community, promise to provide significance, meaning again. But they don't. In fact, most of the time when the world promises those things, they're really just trying to sell something. That's the nature of this life that we live in because we're in a world of shadows, a world of darkness. And yet when light shines forth, when people see your good works, that's just like Jesus said in Matthew to his disciples, to let their light shine so that those would, so that the world would see their good works, right? And their father in heaven. So it is with us. That's what we're called to do. It's, it's no, no secret, no surprise. Will you let your good work shine forth through prayer and praise? Will you be the genuine article in a world full of darkness that people look at and they say, I don't know what's going on, but I don't have that. But I want it. That same jailer that's in the midst of, or, or, or on the, the very brink of suicide is very soon going to ask, what must I do to be saved? And he's not talking about his life. He's talking about what he's seen. The calling for us is simple. We too are to be those lights and shine in a weary world. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you have given to us to shine forth. And Father, we ask for forgiveness for those opportunities we have missed. We know we can't go back, but we can go forward. So please, work in our hearts, work in our minds, that we would be faithful. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Until then, I hope that everybody has a fantastic Monday or whatever day it is that you happen to find this. Until I see you again, take care.